There is no good or evil listener, only the Quibbler Podcast, special film edition, the Harry Potter movie club for people who preferred the books. No, it can't be. Snape, he, he was the <laughs> Yes, he does seem the type, doesn't he? Next to him, who would suspect? Poor stuttering Professor Quirrell. But, but that day, during the Quidditch match, Snape tried to kill me. No, dear boy. I tried to kill you. I'm Heather Price, right? And I'm Alex Dallenberg. And here we are discussing the movie adaptation of book one, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. By Warner Brothers. We're not going to bother with summarizing the plot because if you've been listening over the past six episodes of The Quibbler, which hopefully you have, you already know what happens in this movie adaptation of the book that we have been dissecting bit by bit for weeks. There's a Sorcerer's Stone and they find it. Yep. What'd you think? What did I think? Rewinding to my childhood, I remember hating this movie. I wasn't into the books. I really wanted Fellowship of the Ring to come out, and this movie came out before. So I remember feeling extremely resentful about having to be dragged to the movie theater with my sister and watch it, and I just thought it was the dumbest fucking thing in the world. I think for sure this movie doesn't work on its own. It's nonsense if you had not already been made a fan (laughs) of the book. I think even as a companion to the book, this first one is genuinely not great. I think it's maybe half of a good movie. The thing that kind of surprised me, well, because we watched it just a couple of days ago, I guess a week ago, I was not engaged. And I love this series. I mean, it is self-evident that you and I are <laughs> big Harry Potter fans. And can, what if we What if we super didn't like Harry Potter at all? That would be a strange... No. Uh, so obviously we love the series. And it is... An, an, and can talk and think about the Harry Potter universe ad nauseum. So the fact that I was bored during various points of this movie is, I think, pretty telling of how well made this movie is. Well, okay... I was not, I definitely did not like this movie the first time I saw it, and that was watching it as a teenager who was very grumpy about the whole Harry Potter phenomenon, but I would say I liked it much better this, maybe this was the second time I've ever seen it, actually? I'm not- No, at least the third, because I remember we watched all of them, So a couple years ago. I- I definitely liked it more, obviously, having read the books. A couple of things. It's really long. Yeah. Compared to the length of the book, especially because later on, I mean, book five is like four times the size of book one. (laughs) If the later directors had insisted on being as pedantic and literal as Chris Columbus was in this movie, basically shooting just a scene by scene redo of exactly the book, then the books four, five, six would have been like eight or nine hour movies right it was way too long and which i'm sure warner brothers is going back and thinking why weren't they eight or nine hour long movies now that they're into like six parts (laughs) now that they're turning fantastic beasts into five separate films honestly don't even get me started on that shit (laughs) this is usually not a book lover's complaint Mm -hmm. about a movie they left too much in yeah like there are really 
delightful scenes in the book that play super fucking dull in the movie. Like what? Like there are all these scenes that sort of correspond to kind of transitional or liminal moments in the books that he does really visually. Like there's that scene where he is, where Harry is outside in the snow with Hedwig and I think it's meant to be a sort of sumptuous visual chapter ending transitional scene. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Two or three minutes long, and it's really <laughs> fucking boring. It's just a boy and his bird. Well, mostly it's just not that kind of movie. Like, having a super-duper silent kind of meditative visual scene in this film starring and for children, Yeah, that works in the books because the books have moments where they are they slow down a little bit or they're a little meditative or they're a little more carefully constructed. But in the movie, it's just like, why are we all of a sudden watching, like, some fucking art house film? where there's just a, a bad CGI owl flying. That's the other big problem with this movie, is it was made in what, like 99? It's 2001. Okay, regardless, the special effects are dismal. I don't know if they're dismal, It takes but... me out of it. I mean, I guess this, that's just like yeah. the problem with it being a, like, I mean, it's not old. It exists. It's 16 years old. It was, I think it was made in this kind of awkward phase. Where people were starting to rely more heavily than they should have on CGI and before the technology could bear that reliance. Right. But because there's still a lot of practical effects in it. Hedwig is all CGI and it's like, just train an owl. (laughs) I'm sure it's more complicated than that. I don't know. I feel like there's (laughs) older movies than Harry Potter with With trained trained animals. With trained owls? With trained animals. Owls are. (laughs) I mean, they're raptors. Like, those are not hard birds to train. Based on the fact that falconry is a fucking Middle Ages sport. This is true. Okay. Yeah, so they needed better. They needed some fal. They needed to hire they some falconers. They needed a better falconist. Yeah. No, there's a better. There's a. There's an actual word for that job. I've heard that owls are not that smart, though. Okay. Relative to we other cannot, birds of prey. We can't, we can't spend get into too owl much biology. Time on owls. Okay. No owl biology. But I just. I like. There's a lot of scenes with Hedwig because Hedwig. And I think in the in in more capable hands, in better directorial hands, these scenes might have been cool. But Hedwig acts as this transitional figure between pieces of the movie. But it's always so awkward and ugly looking. Like there's all this these scenes where it's just Hedwig sort of flying, and what she's doing is flying from one season or one scene or one piece of the movie to mm-hmm. another. So I'm like, okay, that's like actually kind of an interesting visual cue. But Hedwig is so stupid looking because she's all CGI that it's like not beautiful or interesting. It's just like, ugh, this owl is really Valley of the Uncanny terrible. (laughs) The iconic Harry Potter theme that we all know and love is called Hedwig's theme. It's true. Okay, and the score, yeah, we can all agree, I think, that the music is phenomenal. John Williams doing his his thing. I mean, I feel like I could actually just listen to this film and get as much out of it because a it's visually not extraordinarily great but it's also the music is amazing so i think the film starts very strong with the dropping off harry at the dursleys all the scenes with the dursleys are great those guys okay let's talk about a thing we do like it is really well cast especially the all the adults all the Mm grown-ups are killing it and the dursleys set that tone and petunia and uncle vernon steal the show and are not that interesting in the book right it gets much it weirdly gets more boring by the time they get to hogwarts oh yeah i think so so those opening scenes are almost 
some touches in them are almost better than the books. Okay, or one one specific thing. What, one specific thing. The gazillions of owls. Oh yeah, so funny. Kind of make it. It's funny, but it's also kind of magical and right. eerie, and it's clear that Vernon is dealing with forces he knows not of. Right. <laughs> you know what I like about those Dursley scenes is they have this delightful kind of British farce tradition. Like it's like watching an episode of like Faulty Towers <laughs> or Noises Off. They get to a really quintessentially British kind of comedy that I think the book is trying to capture with the Dursley scenes. Because in the book, the Dursley scenes are written really differently and it's like a whole other type of book when you're mm-hmm. at the Dursley's house. Yeah. It's not a fantasy novel, but she does that sort of tea and crumpets, British, farsi, mannersy comedy, that kind of broad British comedy really, really well. And I'm psyched at how well cast and made those Dursley scenes are because they're hysterical. Yeah, they're some of the best. They are the best scenes in the movie. I would agree. I think that I think that the Dursley scenes, which is so weird because they're kind of the least important. Well, they're they're foundational to Harry's character, but they're not important in the books as much. They're excellent in the movies. Yep. So casting. I mean, it's basically just every actor in Britain eventually <laughs> gets a role in these movies. Apologies to any British actors who aren't in these movies, but like kind of it's a, Mr. It, Mr. Bean never gets in it. What's his oh, name? I don't know, but that's Ro- kind of a bummer. Rowan Atkinson? Yeah. Okay. Mr. Bean Mr. Bean's never in Harry Potter, nope. but But I mean it really becomes by the middle of the series. It's just like a who's who of venerable British actors and actresses. <laughs> All the teachers are perfectly cast. Mhm. I mean, Alan Rickman is doing just an enormous amount. From the first moment. And he doesn't actually get much screen time. He doesn't. May he rest in super creepy, velvety-voiced peace because what a treasure. Oh, yeah. Ugh. Okay, I think actually Movie Snape gave J.K. Rowling a lot of license to do more with Snape because Movie Snape is not just ugly and awful. First of all, Alan Rickman is just inherently sexy. So <laughs> it makes sense that Spoiler alert. It makes sense that later on, later on, what Snape gets as sort of a character explanation is a love story because he's got a certain slithery sex appeal that obviously book Snape doesn't have because that would be weird to put into words, but Alan Rickman is just like, hot damn. Book Snape has a goatee. Oh yeah, no. Clean shaven Snape is much better. All right, so we prefer our Snape's clean shaven. <laughs> it's the only thing I prefer clean shaven. I like a man with a beard overall. Some of them are so good. It's after you've seen the movie, it's hard to imagine something else when you're reading the book. Robbie Coltrane is the same way. He's mm-hmm. perfect as yeah, he and he's the emotional glue of the movie. And that I think was a smart decision because he very much is in the book as well. It's true. Right. Hagrid Actually, is, more so than in the book. Yeah, no. He, he's the emotional core of the first movie. And that's all performance. That's all acting. He has just an innate warmth and wonder to him that makes him a perfect, you're right, glue. To the kids. He keeps them, and he, he, he keeps them safer in the movie than in the book. <laughs> There's a lot less of Hagrid being a fucking moron. Yeah, movie Hagrid's not an alcoholic with a hoarding problem. He is, but it's, a there's a little more warmth. 
Maybe not more warmth. Mm. He's just... Robbie Coltrane, I could watch do anything. You know, Quirrell is better in the movie. Okay, yes. This is this is one... Because we complained in episode six about Quirrell's lack of development. Yeah. And you never really get attached to him. I, I think that's the one point I would all the way concede to the movie over the book, is that Quirrell gets more screen time. He's like in the background being a weirdo a lot more. <laughs> One thing that we should talk about in the movie that's fucking weird is the Quidditch scene. Like, Quidditch is bad in the book, but the movie Quidditch scene is, like, literal murder ball. (laughs) It's terrifying. In the book, you don't have this thing where the Gryffindor players, like, go down one by one. Right. In the movie, all three chasers... Get the snot beaten out of them. You know, in a movie, you have to make it, give it its own, like, the game, its own internal arc. Right. Less and it's than kind she of did an, in the book. Like, it's a, like, if it bleeds, it leads situation. <laughs> but it's a really violent scene. To the, and I don't think it needs to be. It's really long, and too. very unpleasant. It's very long. Yeah. No, it's even more well, so everybody in the book. Wanted, everybody wanted to see Quidditch. I know. But even more so in the movie than in the book. It's like, why would anybody play this sport? <laughs> I, I don't know. Why would people play football? I, I ask myself that daily. Well, you know, violent sports. Okay, so... Or hockey? Maybe it's a... I know, but you don't have multiple people carried off the field on stretchers to wake up four days later in <laughs> hockey or most football or hockey games. <laughs> Many football games, not all. I think you're right about it being too close to the book. Mm-hmm. But a funny thing about it is halfway through, it's almost like they got halfway through the book... And then they were realizing they were running out of time. Right, they because were like, oh, they cl- we have a lot to do. You have a lot left. Because they slash everything in the last half of the book to the point where one of the best scenes, The Forbidden Forest, is cut to like four minutes. Yeah. And they spent like 20 on a Quidditch game. I don't know what the exact like numbers work out to. I felt but... like I was watching that Quidditch game for an hour. <laughs> you know, then they get to The Forbidden Forest and like Ferenz pops out. Give some wisdom. Barely, though. And you yeah. only meet one of the, the centaurs. Mm-hmm. The other thing that makes me sad is, I guess I kind of see why they did this, but Neville is barely in the movie at all. There's all these scenes in the book that Neville plays an integral part in. Like, when they first meet Fluffy and when they're in the Forbidden Forest, Neville is in both of those scenes in the book, and it's just Harry, Ron, and Hermione in the movie. And I understand why for the purposes of just like streamlining the film Mm -hmm. but it does take away that opportunity to characterize Neville and then when Neville becomes more and more important throughout the books you haven't had that early glimpse of him I know a lot of you have done this honestly I have a lot of friends who have done this and I'm talking to each and every one of you right now that is an annoying thing don't just watch the movies of these books because you're getting (laughs) a tenth of what's there yeah some of what you're getting is bad yeah some of the movies aren't good some of the movies are great i think after movie three they start getting pretty consistently in sorcerer's stone it hasn't found its look and feel yet so it feels very inconsistent let's talk about the kid actors yeah because they're first of all one of the things that's weird about watching a movie version of a book about 11 year olds is that they're actual 11 year olds and it's freaky because it's really really terrible things happening to really little kids When you're reading, you can kind of forget how old Eleven actually is. Right. They're cute. I think they're sweet. They're sweet. It's surprising that Daniel Radcliffe grows into the actor he does, because I actually think he's the weakest of the three in the first movie. I have read that he can't watch these early films because he 
considers his performance to be awful. I actually think Rupert Grint is the best actor of the three in the first one. He's got the most kind of like elastic face. He's doing the most actual mm. acting. Yeah, you get into Ron's character a bit yeah. more. Daniel Radcliffe's main form of expression in the first movie is just to gulp. <laughs> he does this hilarious thing, and he does it so many times, where he just widens his eyes and just gulps really, like, visibly. And he does it, I feel like, when he's scared or surprised or about to cry, any emoting. I don't know if he learned that in some, like, kid acting class, but he just does these really hilarious kind of frog-like gulps a bunch of times. (laughs) But, I mean, to his credit, he grows. Oh, yeah. An enormous amount in the movies. And and now is really a great actor. Um, I've read that he did, I think, obviously a really cool and maybe obvious thing, but still good for him, which is pay really close attention to the performances of the truly great actors and actresses around him and like made really a point to learn from all these incredible British performers that he got to spend 10 years of his life with. So good for him on that. That's like a masterclass. Yeah. And then Emma Watson, Hermione, she's fine. She's not given a ton to do in this movie this might be because this is something I just see everywhere so sorry for that but it felt a little bit sexist how little Hermione was given to do in the movie versus how important a character she was in the book I think there's a lot of scenes that are sort of uh, Hermione's reactions and motivations are a lot clearer and make a lot of sense in the book and in the movie she seems to have been directed to just play it all kind of snotty like she's really bratty she's just being a nasty woman in (laughs) god Alex she's like really bratty in a bunch of scenes in the movie and I don't you don't get brattiness from her in the book and I don't think that Emma Watson herself made that decision so I'm just like a little suspicious of what kind of direction she was given for Hermione because Hermione is substantially more irritating throughout the movie than I found her in the book. Maybe that's just reading into it too far. Maybe that's just because Hermione's my favorite character and her portrayal in movie one didn't really live up to that. They move past that really fast. Oh yeah, also she's great in the later movies. I mean, they all grow a ton. Let's do some film unsung heroes. Who was doing a lot in the movie for you that maybe didn't like deserve some credit i really liked david bradley as argus filch he's everything you want filch he's super creepy looking he has an ambiguous relationship with his cat yeah probably sleep in the same bed mrs norris is good too mrs norris is super creepy looking (laughs) and you can tell that she's just like lovingly licking fish out of his like five o'clock shadow (laughs) it's disgusting (laughs) my film unsung hero is um fiona shaw as aunt petunia because in the book uncle vernon's escapades like way overshadow aunt petunia's he's a lot funnier and more lively but just her performance in the movie just her pursing her lips or sort of shuddering every so often she's such a great comic actress and she makes that character a comic character and Mm -hmm. I super appreciate that I just think it's like really she's hysterical and really 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 fun in the movie and she just has like this great face for kind of farce and like broad comedy we do have to just give one additional film shout out because there is a scene this is the best moment in the entire movie it is utterly inexplicable and it does not happen in the book so 
McGonagall has to go pull Wood out of classes to introduce him to Harry Potter so that he can be a seeker. But she goes into the Defense Against the Dark Arts class, and Quirrell is just at the head of the class petting an iguana. Like a giant. A giant iguana. iguana. Yeah. And it's just... (laughs) It's it's so random. such a strange image. (laughs) It's totally incongruous. And it does a lot to make Quirrell seem like just a freak. <laughs> and in the book, she goes what into he... uh, Charms. In the, in the book, she goes into mm-hmm. Professor Flitwick's class, yeah. not Quirrell's. And I don't know who some, I don't know whether Chris Columbus or who made the decision to have Quirrell just up there in his turban petting this like massive iguana that's sitting on his shoulder. I love that part. It's amazing. He looks so we'll just... We'll have to put, we'll put like a screenshot of of it or something <laughs> on the soundcloud page for this episode so you guys can all see it because oh it's ridiculous what, what is he doing i don't know what he's doing he can't be talking about parcel tongues because that's snakes well I, also are iguanas dark creature like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense it's <laughs> totally insane it's just like what would be wizardy maybe it's his emotional support animal oh my god actually people use Lizards as emotional yeah, support animals. Yeah, they use lots of different animals. That's nice. So I hope Quirrell... Voldemort is... has Nagini as his emotional support animal that later on. That is true. Hagrid has tubs full of monsters yeah. to support him emotionally. Every wizard's allowed to bring various rats and birds. That's true. So... Dumbledore. What do you think of Richard Harris's Dumbledore? Oh, I'm really is... sad that we lose him. This is the big debate. Oh, I like him better. I would have liked him to be a little more lively. Yeah. I guess he's on death. He's not on he death's door. Turns out he's he going to die really he is, soon Richard Ayers is quite old. But, you know, the Dumbledore in the books gets, like, distracted by an interesting bird on the windowsill. And I think this Dumbledore is a little too... I get why people like Richard Harris's Dumbledore. I think he's a little too grand and a little not loopy enough for me. Like, mm. Dumbledore is a weirdo. Yeah, you're right. He is a little... He's a little too serious a character. Mm-hmm. It he's, does... You do very, lose some of his weirdness. This is very, like, Gandalf as Dumbledore. Right. Although Gandalf is weird, too. And Ian McKellen gets to some of that in in the Lord of the Rings movies, which is like... Uh, that's a whole other podcast, but... Uh, we're not making we're, a Lord of the Rings we're podcast. We're definitely not making a Lord of the Rings podcast. No. Yeah, I, I would have liked to see... I guess you get that in the earwax scene when he I eats just, the birdie bots. I guess it's... I don't think he's grave so much as just deadpan. I think he, he gets that Dumbledore says all of his kooky shit in like a perfect deadpan. Uh, I, I did, all right, fair I enough. I actually did prefer Richard Harris. I'm not saying I, I prefer Gambone later, but... I don't know. Well, I, we'll have I've to never, see when we watch the I've never movie. thought Dumbledore... I never thought the movies ever quite got No, Dumbledore. I actually don't think either actor all the way gets Dumbledore. I do think that they play him too serious. Just throughout the films, I think that they, they play Dumbledore a little serious. The Dumbledore I have in my head is the Dumbledore in those comic strips that's like when he's talking about perfect socks, what he's talking about are like lace stockings. The Dumbledore in my head is like kind of a freak in a nice way. I think that's it. That's all I really have to say about this film. So um, we give it 20 house points out of... As many as you wish. 20 arbitrary house points to... Make of of that what you will. Tune in later on in the week because we're going back to what we do best and getting started with Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. So we're going to be talking about the first three chapters of book two soon. I much prefer working with the texts, so. Yeah, we got to brush up on our film theory. I have no. <laughs> no interest. I don't need to do that. No, it's I a book. No. Cl- it's a book club. I don't have no interest. I just that <laughs> like, 
if I'm going to brush up on my film theory, it's not going to be for the Harry Potter movies. Fair enough. I don't think they come... En- okay, I will say, I do not think that the movies come anywhere close to the depth and artistry of the books. We've got eight more movies to go. No, uh-huh. seven more movies to go. So It's true. So, we can evolve. that's that. All right. Thanks, amigos. <laughs> there, there, Hagrid. It's not really goodbye after all. Good luck, Harry Potter.